Sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to know the saith the Lord. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I prove him more and more. Jesus, Jesus, pray. Jesus, hold for grace to trust Him more. Oh, how sweet to trust in Jesus, just to trust His cleansing blood, just in simple faith to plunge me neath the healing, cleansing blood. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust Him. Jesus, hold for grace to trust Him more. Yes, tis sweet to trust in Jesus, just from sin and self to cease, just from Jesus simply taking life and rest and joy and peace. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust Him, how Jesus, precious Jesus, hold for grace to trust Him more. I'm so glad I learned to trust Thee, precious Jesus, Savior, friend. And I know that Thou art with me, will be with me to the end. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust Him, how I proved Him more and more. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, hold for grace to trust Him more. Amen. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you for singing. I'm going to have the Harris brothers come back up. They're going to sing a few. And then, Brother Tyler, you just go ahead and preach when y'all get done. Thank you, Lord. I 
home and family for the joy that you've given me for shoes on my feet and plenty to eat thank you Lord for this church to worship and
was like a house One day I let the Savior in There were many rooms We would visit now and then Then one day he saw that door I knew the day had come too soon I said, Jesus for us to visit in that room Cause that's a place in my heart Where even I won't go I have some things in there I don't want anyone to know But he handed me the key the tears of love on his face He said, I want to make you clean Let me go in your secret place So I opened up the door And as the two of us walked in I was so ashamed his light revealed my hidden sin. But when I think about that room now, I'm not ashamed anymore because I know my hidden sin no longer hides behind the door. It was a place in my Let's take our Bibles to Acts chapter 4 and Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 4 and Acts chapter number 5. <clears throat> begin reading in verse number 33. Help us get a little context on what is happening in chapter, the end of chapter 4 and chapter 5. Uh, in Acts chapter 4, verse 33, it says, And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them. And brought the prices of the things that were sold, and laid them down at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. And Joseph, 
who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation and Levite, and of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it, and brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. We'll go on in just a minute and read. I'm going to ask my brother Sam if he doesn't mind to pray this, this evening before we get started into our message this evening. Please. Father, we come before you tonight thankful, Lord, for what we've already felt in our hearts. Lord. Thank you so much for how good you've been, Lord, already in this meeting. So, Father, how desperately we need you in this hour of preaching. God, I pray that you would help us each to search our heart and, Lord, have open ears to hear. Lord, you said in your word as you were speaking... Lord, to your disciples and to the Pharisees, he who hath ears to hear, let him hear. And Father, I pray that tonight we would have ears to hear what you have to say from your word. God, I pray that you would touch your man, hide him behind the cross. Lord, give him clarity of thought. And Lord, give him power from heaven tonight. Lord, we know that in the flesh dwelleth no good thing. But God, if we're filled with the Spirit, I know that you'll help us. So I pray that you would do that tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Continue to read in chapter 5. Start in verse 1, go down to verse 12 with me. But a certain man named Ananias, and with Sapphira his wife, sold a possession, and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part, and laid it at the apostles' feet. And Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie the Holy Ghost, and to keep back part of the price of the land? Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost. And great fear came on all them that heard these things. And the young man arose, wound him up, and carried him out, and buried him. And it was about the space of three hours after when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. And Peter answered unto her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, Yea, for so much. Then Peter said unto her, How is it that you have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them that have buried thy husband are at the door. And shall carry thee out. Then fell she down straightway at his feet, and yielded up the ghost. And the young men came in and found her dead, and carrying her forth, buried her by her husband. And great fear came upon all the church, and upon as many as heard these things. And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. I'd like to preach for just a little bit of time this evening on, well, it's just a little lie. Well, it's just a little lie. Turn your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 5 with me, please. Does anybody know... One of the greatest pictures in the Bible or examples that the Bible uses to picture sin. Leaven. Leaven. In our Bible in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 6 it says, Your glorifying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Over just a few pages is Galatians chapter 5. <clears throat> you know, it's important when the Bible says it once, but when the Bible says it more than once, we better take heed to it. That's right. And recognize when God is using something as a picture in our lives, we need to realize the importance of that. Amen. Right. Galatians chapter 5 verse 9, it says, A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Well, it's just a little lie. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Here we are in this passage. We could argue where the church started. We're not going to do that tonight. But here's the first, we can call it the first Baptist church in Acts. 
First Baptist Church of Jerusalem. Man, and I'm not talking about the Southern Baptist either, amen? The First Baptist Church of Jerusalem. There's great things happening. Thousands and thousands of people have been saved by the grace of God because of the preaching from a man who used to stick his foot in his mouth. God blessed it. And there's great unity happening in the church. But what happens every time unity comes up in the church? What happens when there's great joy, great peace, great things happening for God in the house of God? Old smutty face. Old Satan has to stick his nose in it. Try to mess up everything. He'll use someone in the church. He'll use someone outside of the church. He'll use something in the church or something out of the church. Most of the time, Satan attacks from within. They say, uh, they say Satan got kicked out of heaven and landed in the choir. I don't know. Some people say he landed in the sound booth. Nothing against you, brother, in the sound booth. But uh, they, say, they say that the attacks most of the time come from within, though. Okay, and I'm not trying to point anybody out when I said that about Satan falling from heaven. But uh, just kind of help us be a little bit jovial about the message tonight. Because it's, it's going be, to hit close to home to us. Every time I, I, I uh, the, the times I've, I have preached this message, the times that I've looked over this today even, I've had to do some examination in my own heart and realize, man, I really hope I haven't lied to God. Here in this passage, we have the First Baptist Church of Jerusalem. Things are going great. Satan has finally worked his way into this church trying to disrupt the unity but it's through an interesting way. He uses two people, a couple, to try to disrupt the church and what people are doing for God. Yes. Here in chapter 4, we read about a man. Anybody know who Barnabas is? You say Barnabas and Paul, you'll recognize that name a lot. He's a man that was very influential in the life of Paul yes. to help him get into his ministry. When the church wanted to throw Paul out because they thought he was trying to just infiltrate and attack the church, Barnabas was the one who stood up and said, you know what, let's see if we can help this guy. Maybe he is real. Maybe this is real. And he helped Paul in his ministry immensely. But here is before all this took place. Barnabas, the Lord lays it on his heart. Okay, It doesn't say that these people had to do these things in the Scripture, but... Uh, Barnabas decided, he said, I'm going to sell some land and give that money to the church to help be a blessing to the church. You ever heard that before, preacher? Lord, I just want to be a blessing to the church. But no, here Barnabas really is trying to be a blessing to the church. But this couple sees what Barnabas does and they start doing the same thing, but it's not for the same reason. Well, so-and-so in the church gave to the church, and I know I have an idea on how much they gave, and, well, I just don't want them to one-up me. I mean, they got a pat on the back from the preacher, so, man, I, I really hope I can, too, when I get this big, fat love offering check or, or this check in the, the offering or whatever it is, and I just want to get a pat on the back from the preacher. This is what Ananias and Sapphira, their desire is here. They do it, it almost it seems as though they're competing with what Barnabas has done. There's nothing wrong with following the example of someone in the church as long as it is a godly example. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you're doing it for the wrong reasons, God's going to find out. God already knows the intents of our heart, folks. If we're up here singing, if we're, y'all are out there listening, you're in here in church just this evening and here for the wrong reasons, God already knows. God already knows. God despises lying. He despises it. Proverbs chapter 14 verse 5 says, A faithful witness will not lie, but a false witness will utter lies. Colossians 3.9 says, Lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds. 
Revelation 21-27 says, And there shall in no wise enter, in, or enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination, or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. Also in Revelation chapter 22 it says, For without, uh, for without are dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters. And get this phrase, And whosoever loveth and maketh lies. It's one thing to tell a lie, but to be someone who loves to tell lies. My oh my. To live as though your, li- your whole entire life is a lie. To be a pretender. To be like Judas. To live in the church. To live in the greatest church of all with the greatest pastor of all only to just be fake. To live a lie. And here Ananias and Sapphira are. They're attempting to imitate or even copy what Barnabas has done. By way of introduction, real quickly, I want to see three things, then we'll get into the message, alright? Three things real quickly. I see first of all there's the facts of the case. The facts of the case. We see, first of all, there's the possession. Right? In chapter 5, there is the land that the this couple, Ananias and Sapphira, owned. Right. We see that, and I believe it's in verse... Um, I didn't write it down, I'm sorry. But in, in, in this passage, we see that they, they, uh, Peter asked him about the land. Tell me whether you sold the land, verse 8, for so much. And she said, yea, for so much. So this possession they had was the land. Number two, there was the prearrangement. They promised to give it all to God. We're going we're gonna to preach on this just, just a few minutes down the road uh, in just, uh, just a few moments. But the prearrangement was they decided they're going to give all of what God had laid on their hearts to give then we see the parting. They decided, well, we didn't expect to get this much out of our land, so why don't we just keep part of it? We didn't realize how much this was really going to bring us. And man, God doesn't need all that. When God tells you to do something, neighbor, you better listen. And you better do it. When God commands you to, to, when He lays something on your heart, whether it's given a mission, it's given to something, you better go through with it. Follow through with it. Then there's the pronouncement. God brought judgment upon them for their sin. Not every time does God kill someone for lying. But in this case, for some unknown reason... The Bible does say that they had Satan filled their heart to lie to the Holy Ghost. Maybe that was the case. I don't, I don't know. The Scripture talks a lot about blaspheming the Holy Spirit. I, I don't know how all that works. How I can't explain all that. But the Scripture is very clear that they lied to the Holy Ghost and their lives were lost because of that simple, little, what seemed to be such an innocent little lie. Such a small thing, as Brother Cody talked about last night. The facts of the case. Number two, the failure of the couple. The failure of the couple. I see their pride in this. Again, we mentioned Ananias and Sapphira. It almost seems like they're just trying to compete. Trying to say, well, I, if you can do that, I can do it better. Yeah. And it's sad. man. So many churches today, someone will get up and sing a special, and someone else come up right behind them and sing another special. It's almost like they're trying to just show off. Man, you can, you can do that, but look, look at me. Look what I can do. Man, what are we in it for, man? We're in it for God. We see the pride, but then we see the privacy of this. They thought they could get one up on God. Again, I mentioned this already, but they thought they could get one up on God. They, they failed to remember that God sees everything. He knows everything. He knows everything that's going on in our minds and our hearts. God told Samuel as he was choosing the next king, David, said, I don't, I'm, I'm not quoting it verbatim, but he basically told him, said, I don't look on the outside, I look on what's on the inside. And that's how God sees. God sees our heart. He doesn't judge what we do necessarily by and more than what, the way we do it or the, uh, how, why we do it. If I could say it that way. Number three. The findings of the church. 
the findings of the church. The church saw their displacement of their faith. Again, they got this money and kept back part of it. Almost as though, it seems almost as though, preacher, that they did not believe God was able to take care of the need that was going to arise in their life because of what they did. Because of what they committed to God, they realized, well, man, what if God doesn't come through? Satan will tell you those things. That's how he got Eve. He started slipping in some things. Maybe that sounded a little bit, man, that sounds reasonable. I mean, God's always supplied our need, amen? Right? But, man, we're human. We can start looking at the bills. We start looking at all these things, and it's like, man, well, maybe. What if I just, what if I just not give this week? What if I just not go to church this week? So the displacement of their faith. Remember that obedience to God will always, will always help grow our faith because sometimes He'll put us in a place where we have to lean more on Him. They saw the, 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 the displacement of their faith. Number two, the, the distraction of the foe. Again, we mentioned this and we'll go on just for sake of time. The distraction of the foe, but then they saw the demand of faithfulness to God. Every time God puts us in a place where we have to show ourselves faithful to Him, He demands that we be faithful to Him. The Bible tells us we ought to be faithful servants. How faithful was He to us? How faithful is He to us? Just thinking about the fact that He set His face as it were a flint towards the cross. He was faithful in everything He did for us in the past concerning the cross. Why shouldn't we? Why shouldn't we be faithful? Amen. And when we're not faithful to Him, He'll judge our lives. It's not that He stands over us and tries to beat us like a big one-eyed ogre and just beat us with a club all the time we mess up. But He demands faithfulness. Yes, true. So as we look into this account, I want to just draw hopefully an example that we can use into our lives. When someone in the Bible makes a commitment to God and they do not fulfill it, and they get judged by death. How often do we make commitments and we don't realize that it's actually killing us spiritually? It's actually killing us. It's not literally going to kill us. Uh, and it may, it may be a case where you, you, uh, someone loses their life or something like this. But most of the time, it's just killing us spiritually. C.S. Lewis said this, a little lie is like a little pregnancy. It doesn't take long before everyone finds out. It's true. It's it's funny, yes, but it's true. Five things, real quickly. Five areas that we make commitments to God that many days or many seconds after we make those commitments, we take them right back and act as though we never made them in the first place. Five things. Number one, don't throw a brick or songbook at me, okay? Number one is finances. How often in, in my own life, but in all of our lives, have we said, Lord, I want you to have full control over my checkbook, my bank account. Lord, I want you to have full control over everything. Then the next day, oh... Man, the bills are coming up. Man, I gotta pay these bills. I gotta, I gotta. And we, I, I'm not saying we don't pay our bills. I'm saying just all these things start hitting us at once. Hospital bills, all these things, and we start spending our money before we really even talk to God about it. Yeah. We start taking that tithe, putting it towards our hospital bills instead of giving it to the church. Yeah. And I'm not gonna spend a whole lot of time on this. It's your pastor's job mainly to preach on this. When the Lord has laid it on our hearts to give, maybe it's to missions. Maybe it is a special offering for the church or a preacher, whatever it is. When God has told you to do something, just like them, well, the Lord laid $200 on my heart or whatever the number is, 
Well, Lord, you know, I really need that extra $100 this week, so why don't I just give $100? Well, God may, he may bless you. But could you imagine the blessings if you would have fully obeyed him? See, the, the, I've always heard this statement, delayed obedience or even partial obedience is still disobedience. It is still disobedience. You did not fully obey the commander or that, that drawing that God laid on your heart. In the matter of finances, the problem is, you say you've given God your finances, but really you haven't given God your heart. I heard a preacher say this, when God has your heart, He has your wallet. He has everything about you when He has your heart. The problem is, most Christians don't want to give Him their heart. And really, can I say, I, I don't know, this. I don't want to come across the wrong way. But if you're not willing to give him your heart anyway, are you, are you really saved? If he doesn't really have your heart, are you really born again? Do you really, does he really have everything? Does he really have everything? Our finances. They say once God has your heart, he'll have your finances and everything. Because our money belongs to God, our spending decisions should always be spiritual. Always. Lord, I'm going to buy a car. Lord, I ask you to help me and lead me in the right direction and supply that need. Lord, I'm, I'm paying my bills. Lord, I'm trusting that you're going to take care of this. Lord, I'm giving my tithe. I'm giving my offerings. I'm giving the missions. Lord, I, I ask that you will help supply the needs that come up in our life. Because I'm obeying you, Lord. I'm expecting not, that, uh, not to be like these ecumenical crazy guys and the, the TV preachers that say, you give this much, God's going to bless you, yada, yada, yada. But no, no, we're talking about like just basic Christianity here. Yeah. Right, folks? Yeah. Just basic Christianity. Philippians 4.19 says, But my God shall supply all your need according to the bank down the road. The credit union... Just down the street? No, it says by, according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Every time He gives out of His riches, it doesn't deplete one bit. <laughs> I, I still today cannot wrap my mind around that. The fact that when He gives of His riches, there's still the same amount as He gave after He gave out than before He gave. Hallelujah for that. Man, that, that ought to excite us a little bit. Amen? You see, it's not how much money we give to God, but how much of God's money we will keep. John Wesley said that. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says, Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give. Here it is. Not grudgingly or of necessity. The Bible says, For God loveth a cheerful giver. Right? Sometimes it's hard. It's like, man, i got to pay this bill. i got to take care of this. I don't know how I'm going to do this, God, but here you go. <laughs> God, I know you're going to bless it. Sometimes it's difficult. We've got to trust Him. We've got to make those commitments in our finances. Give Him full control of it. Believe me, it's worth it. Number two, we make commitments in our finances. And we struggle many times to keep those things. Because the economy is pretty crazy today even. It's really hard sometimes. But we make commitments concerning our families. This one hits hard. We say, Lord, you can have my wife. Lord, you can have my children. Lord, you even have my own life. You have our home. You have full reign, full control to do as you will. To call them wherever you want them to go. Do whatever you want them to do. But when God calls them to, say, a mission field, calls that son or that grandchild or that that daughter into a mission field or some kind of work for the Lord, well, I thought you were going to... I thought you were going to go to college. 
man, I'll tell you what. If you go to college for a couple years, I'll, I'll help pay for that college. Then you can serve the Lord. I've seen that so many times in young people's lives. I've, again, I'm only 28 years old, but I've, I've worked enough with youth so far to see the, the distraction sometimes. And I'm not trying to be mean here, but sometimes the distraction that parents can be even in a young person's life. Don't get me wrong, I, I, I believe in parents, I believe that a parent needs to be there to guide their children, but sometimes when it comes to the will of God in their life, the parents can be the biggest distraction. Because, oh, they're my little, my little angel. I don't want them to go get hurt over in a foreign land. You better be worried that they're going to get hurt in this, this land here because they're going to be out of the will of God. What's the best place to be? The safest place to be is at the center of the will of God. Right in the middle of it. See, we'll choose the world's influence in our families instead of God's influence. We'll choose the uh, uh, world magazines and all these philosophies, Dr. Phil and Dr. Thumbsucker, over the Word of God. We'll choose to follow some psychologist who got their degree from who knows where than, than the Word of God and what it says. Maybe it's a mission field. Maybe it's a pastor. Maybe it's some kind of mission work. Ministry work. Or, maybe it's just to be a faithful layman in the church. We need those kind of people too. The pastor cannot do what he needs to do if he doesn't have faithful lay people in the church. Deacons, ushers, treasurers, secretaries, all those wonderful people who serve in ministry. God cannot use that man like he needs to use him without the people of this church, the people of Friendship Baptist Church. So there may be a lay, maybe God's calling you to be a lay person, whatever it is. Turn over to Psalm chapter 127, please. <clears throat> Psalm 127. I will preface this with saying, I know I mentioned it last night as well when we were talking about. Uh, introducing ourselves. The Lord has not blessed my wife and I with children yet, almost six years of marriage, but I know that when the Lord does, I hope that I will be able to fulfill this commitment in this area. I know we are a family unit as a couple, I know that, but as, as we grow and the, the Lord blesses with children, I hope that I, in my own life, can fulfill this commitment and say that I will allow my children to, be, uh, to follow the will of God. But in Psalm 127, verse 3, Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is His reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed. They shall speak with the enemies in the gate. I see something in this scripture I just want to point out real quickly and then we'll move on to the next thought. It says, Their inheritance of the Lord, fruit of the womb is His reward, as arrows are in the hand of a mighty man. I wonder who that mighty man is. And then it says, Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. Who's that talking about? The quiver... Could be speaking of the home. And happy is the man, a father, who has his home full of children. That the Lord has blessed him. And you know what? We've committed our families, we've committed our lives, our, our, our livelihood even to the Lord and said, Lord, I'm going to be happy that the Lord has blessed me with children. And in this quiver, I will prepare the arrows for the mighty man. God. For that mighty man to shoot those arrows where he wants them to be. And you know what? God still helps in the preparation of that arrow as well, but the duty of parents is to help prepare those arrows so that when God uses those arrows, 
to go and uh, hit the mark of His will, if I could say it that way, they are ready and they will hit the mark every time. They will follow the will of God. They'll realize the importance of letting God control their life. If the parents live that way, the kids will. More often than not. There are some times where a child goes wayward, but many times when you raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, they will choose to serve the Lord because they were raised right. Also in Joshua, real quickly, and I'll, be, I'll move on. Joshua, chapter 24. Here we are at the end, the very end of Joshua's life. Last chapter of, the, of Joshua. I, didn't, I almost said the Bible. We're not, at the, not in Revelation, amen. Joshua chapter 24. And I, can, I, will not, I will not read the whole thing. But if I, we'll start reading in verse 14. And just, just go down a couple verses. Verse 14, Joshua is commanding, talking to the children of Israel. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve, whether the gods which our fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. Here it is. But as for me, but as for me, it starts... With the head. Yes. Yes. Starts with the leadership. Yes. The, the, the statement is uh, everybody, um, uh, you lead by example, right? Sure. Everything rises and falls on leadership right. by the head of the home. But as for me and my house. Amen. That's right. yes. Sure. Yes. Well, I'll send my kids off to college and then we'll see what God does. No, he says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It is important that we realize in the, the commitment to following God does not just rely upon the parents of a house or of a home. It also depends on the children. It's important that the children realize that. Number three, and I've kind of talked about this already. I, I won't linger on this one very much, but our futures... The commitments we make for our futures. We decide, well, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose to serve you. I'm going to, uh, Lord, I know you laid it on my heart to go pastor or to, to preach or to sing or whatever it is he's laid on your heart. But let me do this first. Then I've heard, I've heard people give testimonies about it. They had their lives planned out. They were going to spend so many years working for the world, so many years doing this, working on a, uh, a business, and letting God, so, so-called letting God help that business. But then after a certain point, they're going to be, okay, we're done with the business. Now I'm going to serve God. Yeah. Choose to serve God today. Because yeah. you don't know if you're going to have tomorrow. That's right. That's right. Choose to serve God today because you don't know if you're going to have tomorrow. My dad said this when he was preaching one day. I I just wrote it down and I didn't realize it would actually go well with this this thought until I, I started looking at it again the other day. But he said, our tomorrows are a direct reflection of our today's. Our tomorrows are a direct reflection of our todays. See, it's important that we, instead of waiting 10 years from now, decide, okay, God, you called me 10 years ago to preach. Now I'm finally going to just go ahead and start, I guess. No, the day that He lays it on your heart, commit to it. Say, Lord, I know you're, you're leading me to do this in my life. Lord, help me to do it now. Don't let anybody get in my way. Don't let anything get in my way. Don't let money get in my way. Lord, I want to follow your will now. Today. We make commitments in our finances. We make commitments in our futures, in our families. We also make commitments concerning our faults. So, Brother Tyler, what do you mean by our faults? Simply put it, our sin. We say... uh, 
Lord, you know I have a, a problem with, with greed. Lord, I have a problem with this thing right here. Lord, I ask you, as, as David did, to put, put a, uh, no it wasn't, I think it was actually Job, uh, talked about putting a, uh, a guard over his mouth. Spoke about that. God's already given us natural guards in our mouth. He gave us a wall of flesh and a, uh, a wall of ivory, those teeth, to block that tongue from getting loose. Lord, I promise you, Lord, I, with your help, I'm going to just, I'm going to stop gossiping. That's a big one in Baptist churches today, amen? I said that's a big one in Baptist churches today. Uh, they'll, they'll have breakfast on the way to church, but it's the preacher they're having breakfast for breakfast. And they'll walk into the church and say, oh, hello, pastor, it's good to see you. The children following him behind are like, didn't they just? And that's part of the reason most children don't want to serve the Lord anymore. Anyway, I'm, not, I'm just going to leave that on the side. But gossiping is a big, big problem. We have a problem letting this control us more than we let God control us. This is hard for me because I do have this I have a little bit of trouble with that as well not, I'm not talking about gossiping but just just sometimes letting words or, or statements come out that I just really don't mean to say sure. maybe it's not about somebody it's just some stupid comment trying to be sarcastic sometimes and the Lord has convicted me in my own heart sometimes I just you know just just be quiet the Bible says study to be quiet Work with your own hands. We make commitments in those faults. Maybe it's a bigger sin such as pornography. We make commitments and say, Lord, I'm going to set up, I'm going to set up safeguards, I'm going to set up these things, I'm going to even have an accountability partner. Lord, I, I ask in your help for this. Lord, I commit to you today at this altar. I say, Lord, I'm, with your help, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to conquer this. And it goes on for a little while. Oh man, I haven't, I haven't been involved in it. I've been checking up with my accountability partner. I've been, I've been talking to my friends. But the other day I was by myself. That's where it all starts. I was by myself. and Man, it's never good to be alone. I know you're not alone because God lives in our heart. I get that. Don't... don't be sarcastic with it, okay? But alone, physically, no one there with you. And you started doing the stuff that you committed to God that was so important a year ago. You said, Lord, with your help, I'm not going to do this again. And you've gone back on your word. Has there been a time that God's gone back on His word? great example we have in the Bible is Demas. Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. He seemed like he was all for it. He was serving the Lord. He got saved out of this, this life of sin, started serving the Lord, but then all of a sudden he forsook the things of God. Mm. Went back on his commitment to God. His, his commitment to live in the will of God just for a life of sin. The Bible says there is pleasure in sin for a season. For a season. What is a season? It's what, about three months? Three, three and a half months? Somewhere in there. Most of the time a season lasts. Sometimes, where I used to live down in Georgia, it almost seemed like summer lasted about nine months. It's just super hot down there. Cody, you know about that. <laughs> but a season. It's a small time. We're talking about a little lie. A small season. Man, it seems so good when you get back in that sin and you told God you never go back to. But you don't realize the effect that it will have on your life one day. Or as the children of Israel said about Jesus, let His blood be upon us and our children. Not realize the effect that it has not just on us. And it may not have an effect on us as David God did not judge him. He judged his son. 
for having that, that relationship with Bathsheba. It could be your child that God takes from you. It could be a grandchild that God takes from you for that sin that you so thought was so important years ago. Commit to God and say, I'm never going back to that. And you go back to it and God zaps a loved one. Or He takes something important from you. Be careful making commitments to God and going back on those things. We make those commitments and it breaks the heart of God. Thank God one day we're going to go to a place that we won't have to worry about breaking His heart again. Amen. Thank God for that. But while we're here on this earth, let's be careful. Not trade your commitment for a little bit of pleasure. Lastly, we commit in the area of faith. This has a lot to do with most of what we talked about. But many times we make a commitment of faith toward God. We tell Him, I'm going to trust You more. Lord, I'm going to rely on You more. Maybe it's in our finances or our futures or our families or our sins. Lord, when that temptation comes up in my life, I'm going to trust You more to help me get through that. Lord, I believe that You'll help me in the good days. And Lord, I believe You'll help me in the, in the bad days. When the bad days come, where do we find ourselves? Like Jeremiah most of the time. Yeah. Oh, poor little me. I'm just having such a bad day. I stubbed my toe. <laughs> and, and I hit my thumb with a hammer. Man, I'm having such a bad day. Where's God? We say those things. Yeah. We don't really realize what, we're, what we really mean in our heart. How God is disappointed in us when we act as though He's not able to take care of those things. Not able to help us through those things. When we make those commitments, as I mentioned already, it breaks the heart of God. He wants us to trust Him. Just as much as He desires to have a relationship with us, He desires for us to believe in Him. That He, already being omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent, all-powerful, He he just expects that we're just going to trust Him because He is the the all-powerful being. He is God. But I think sometimes we allow ourselves to become a God. We say, well, I think, I think I can take care of this. How many times have you seen someone who said, I can take care of this, and their lives end up in ruin? Their lives end up in a huge mess. They end up going out of church. They end up there having their lives destroyed. Their children's lives are in a wreck. And one day... Get this, one day they may come back to church. They may start serving the Lord again. But most of the time when that happens, their children don't. Yeah. Yeah. That is true. Their grandchildren don't. That is true. Oh, I allowed this, this trial, this storm to come up in my life and I made some stupid decisions yes, sir. to not trust God. And I, I went out of church and thought I could just handle it on my own. But now I'm... I'm regretting it because my children don't want to serve God because they saw the way that I the way that I handled the situation and not that I didn't trust God. Oh Lord help us to trust Him more. Just as Ananias and Sapphira, we do this so often. We make commitments. We say, Lord, this is, this is my family. I give you my family. Lord, I give you my futures, my finances, many different things. We say, Lord, you have it all. We sing the song, I surrender all. <laughs> I surrender all. Do we really mean it? Lord, I surrender all except for my children. 
We'll sing it in church. Man, it sure sounds good. Down deep inside. We haven't really given it all to Him. We've not submitted ourselves to God or the Holy Spirit. Think with me for a moment. Just for a moment. Ask yourself this question. Have I made any commitments to God lately? Or even in the last couple of years? Or have I been like these two in the Scripture who have decided to keep back part of something I promised to God? Ask yourself that question. Not, you don't have to be out, uh, out loud. You don't have to say the answer out loud. Just think in your heart with me for a minute. Has there been something I've committed to God? Lord, you have full control. Like I said, those storms come up. Those difficulties come up. That sin comes back up. And it's almost as though we just slap God in the face. Lord, help us. I think it would be all good for all of us to get to an old-fashioned altar. I know COVID has probably scared a lot of us from coming to the altar, but the altars where decisions are made, commitments are made to God. It's a sign that you are humbling yourself before God, saying, I cannot do this on my own. Lord, I need you. And I surrender all. Proverbs 12, 22 says, Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but they that deal truly are His delight. The altar is a place where we sacrifice to do His will. I heard a section by Cody's pastor say this, altar is a place where we come to die. That's right. We come to die to our desires, to our wills, and we commit our life fully to Him. Die to self, live in Christ. He gave his all. Yep. Why shouldn't we? Yes, sir. Yeah. This this song, you probably find it in most hymn books. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my moments and all my days. Let them flow in endless praise. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse. Of the love, thy love. Take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for thee. Take my voice and let me sing always only for my king. Take my lips and let them be filled with messages for th- from thee. Here's a, a good verse. Take my silver and my gold. Not a mite would I withhold. Take my intellect and use every power as thou shalt choose. Take my will (laughs) and make it thine. It shall be no longer mine. Take my heart. I talked about the heart. Sang about the heart a few moments ago. Take my heart. It is thine own. It shall be thy royal throne. (laughs) Take my love. My Lord, I pour at the feet. It's treasure store. This last phrase. Take myself and I will be ever only all for thee. Will you commit your life or recommit your life, your future, your grandchildren, your children? Will you commit Recommit whatever it is today, tonight. You're not promised tomorrow. Remember, our tomorrow is a direct reflection on what our today's. Committing to Christ, committing to the church, committing to the call that God has placed on our lives. This verse, and I'm done. Deuteronomy 23, 21 says, When thou shalt vow a vow unto the Lord thy God, Thou shalt not slack to pay it. For the Lord thy God will surely require it of thee. And it would be sin in thee. To refuse to make a commitment to God. And not go through with it or go back on it. Just as Ananias and Sapphira. It would be as though we live in, we're living in sin.
Well, it's just a little lie. Just a little thing. In God's eyes, it's so much bigger than that. It's your future. It's your families. It's your church. What's some commitments that you have, have made or need to make tonight? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this opportunity. Lord, I ask that you would help take this message, help us all to realize the importance of making a commitment and keeping those commitments for you and to you. Lord, again, I ask you to help bless Friendship Baptist Church. Lord, help them to continue being a shining light in this community. Lord, before we can go out and be a witness to others, we need to make sure that we are right with you so that our witness is true and our witness will be profitable for you, Lord. All this we ask in your name.